Today's episode is brought to you by Stream by AlphaSense, an expert interview transcript library that integrates AI-generated call summaries and NLP search technology so their clients can quickly pinpoint the most critical insights. Start your free trial at www.streamrg.co backslash PMC. That's S-T-R-E-A-M-R-G.co slash PMC. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not an offer or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell securities. SNN Network, SNN Inc., and the Planet Microcap Podcast and the representatives are not licensed brokers, broker dealers, market makers, investment bankers, investment advisors, analysts, or underwriters. We do not recommend any companies discussed. We may buy and sell securities in any company mentioned and may profit in the event those securities rise in value. We recommend you consult with a professional investment advisor, broker, or legal counsel before purchasing or selling any securities referenced in this podcast. Welcome to the Planet Microcap Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Kraft. Thank you all so much for the support and for tuning in. Do me a quick favor. If you like what you hear at Planet Microcap, please take two seconds and give us five stars on Spotify or Apple. This helps with the search engines so that more folks can also discover and engage with all things microcap stocks. Next up, the Planet Microcap Showcase Vegas happening April 30 through May 2nd, 2024 at the Paris Hotel and Casino. Save the date. We are working our tail off behind the scenes to put together the best program we can. Some really, really cool conversations with incredible thought leaders. Website is now live. And if you'd like to register to participate, please visit planetmicrocapshowcase.com. See you in Vegas. My guest on the show today is Ryan Telford, private investor and better known as at rtelford underscore invest on Twitter slash X. We've been following each other for a while, and after having the chance to meet Ryan during a lunch at Small Cap Discovery's event in Vancouver and learning a little bit more about his microcap quant strategy, I invited him on to share his strategy. The format for this interview is a little different. Ryan put together a great presentation called Quantitative Microcap Investing with Guts, and I wanted him to run with it. Also, the video version of today's pod, which is up on the Planet Microcap YouTube channel, has a visual of the presentation. It's very informative, and in my opinion, Ryan does a phenomenal job showcasing a strategy that, who knows, could work for you when you're developing your microcap investing philosophy. Thank you again for tuning in to the Planet Microcap Podcast, and please enjoy my interview with Ryan Telford. Ryan, thank you for joining me today. How you doing, man? Doing good, Bobby. Thanks. You? Oh, you know, look, man, it's been uh, what was it? It's been a couple of weeks since we we got to meet finally in person at uh, the Small Cap Discoveries Day up in Vancouver. Thanks to Paul and Trevor for all that and getting us together. Okay. And listen, man, I've been following you on Twitter for a bit. I, you did a great Q and A also with Sway Don on Geo Investing a while ago. So I thought, you know what? All right, it's time. We got to do it. Like, let's get let's get let's, let's get the team together. Let's get the band back together. <laughs> But um, right. I'm, but I do appreciate you joining us and and coming on and you know we're doing this a little different because you you know when we were talking in Vancouver you know not only were we talking about your strategy you know as if you're watching this on YouTube uh, quantitative microcap investing with guts and quotes um, but you mentioned that you actually put together a whole presentation around it so for anybody that's listening to the audio version I also invite you to check out the version of this on YouTube I'm gonna do my best for if there's anything like visual to to describe what, what you're seeing. But if you want to check out the actual presentation and everything like that, the video version will be up on YouTube. So with that, Ryan, let's get let's dig right in. I, I mean, uh, you know, I guess you want to take it to your next slide here or you know, give us a little bit about your yeah, background. Nope. I think I think that was that's the first slide, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah. We'll get into that. Sounds good. Cool, man. All right, Bobby. Thanks for kicking things off. So uh, yeah, just just disclaimer here. I, as as Bob mentioned, I am an individual investor. I'm not an advisor. So just uh, do keep that in mind. There's there's no um, recommendations considered in this presentation. All things quant. So yeah, I'll just talk a little bit about me um, and my background. Uh, what quantitative investing is. I mean, I think it means different things to different people. So I'll get in into that. Um, We'll get into the basics of quant strategy, the different components, and what it takes to make a strategy. Of course, GUTS. GUTS is an acronym for, for my approach to microcaps and quantitative investing, which we'll break down. And then we'll top things off by, by actually building a quant strategy called Baby GUTS. 
uh, from microcaps um, just from start to finish. All right, it's so a little bit about me. Uh, as Bobby said, I am a private investor. I'm also an engineer by ed education and profession. So uh, I'm quantitative, I guess you could say by nature, very numerate. So per perhaps there's a connection there. Um, uh, when I'm not with family and doing doing family type activities, then definitely I'm quant investing and researching, writing. Um, I'm a, I guess you could say I'm very evidence-based. I like to know the how and the why about things, um, both in engineering, and that trickles down into investing too. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of a lot of I guess stories and anecdotes in investing. Um, some with some good background, some good empirical evidence, some not so much. So it's uh, it's uh, I always like to know why and how. Absolutely. Um, so, but, but, so Ryan, I wanted to just quickly jump in here. And by the way, just to kind of set it up, like Brian's going to be kind of going through presentation style, but I'm going to jump in every once in a while to kind of Q and A it up just to, you know, the, you know, I got, got to do something today. Right. Um, you know, can't just be the easiest thing of all time, but you know, so Ryan, you said, you know, from your background, you know, you're, you, you quantitative invest, you know, I'd love to understand what led you to wanting to be more on the quant side versus, you know, listen, we were, just at Paul's show, you know, it was all about, you know, yep. I, I say it's 90% about fundamental research and digging through the Q's and K's and all that kind of stuff. So why for yep. you, why is, why does a quantitative strategy work for you? I think actually I've got, I've got quite a few slides to describe that um, kind of that, that journey. Oh my so goodness, if you man. can, if you can, if you can be patient for a couple minutes, I'm jumping the gun, dude. I'm so sorry. Ryan, yeah, go. All right. <laughs> But no, I mean, part of that really is, I, I think, I think being an engineer and being quantitative, um, uh, that kind of just led me down that road into investing into the quant strategy, things that are things that, that you can see on paper, things that are a little bit more black and white than say, uh, more discretionary investing. I mean, that that's part of having like a physics background as part of being an eng engineer, things are very black and white. I mean, you've got physics, you've got hard science, you've got laws. You've got Newton's laws, um, which are very specific. Finance is a whole bunch of gray, and the shades of gray everywhere. So that that's kind of a challenge for me, actually, is to make that transition, is to kind of turn that off and on and, and just make sure I'm not applying black and white rules to a gray universe of finance. So so that's kind of a challenge that that I, I have, but um, I try and manage that. Uh, how did I get into investing? Uh, I've always been quantitative, as as I've said. I kind of always had an interest in in personal finance, but investing was kind of late. It kind of came later. Uh, I mean, I had a had a financial planner, had my had my employer kind of um, contributions and, and investing plans, which were pretty good. But got to a point where I was looking at the returns, and I was looking at the costs, and I thought, mm, something's not adding up here. I mean, can I do better? Can I do this myself? I don't have a finance background, but can I do it? Um, and then I kind of had, kind of had a, a, a kind of a blessing in disguise. If, if you unfortunately, one of my close family members passed away and then left my family and I, I guess you could say a very, fairly modest, but not insignificant amount of, um, of inheritance. So it was enough that I had to figure out what to do with this properly because otherwise it could be probably spent pretty easily on, on frivolous things. So, so that kind of moved me in that direction. Um, I started getting into Buffett, really did the whole stock picking thing, use Morningstar to figure out, okay, what stocks are trading below low intrinsic value. Um, and that was pretty good. It was a really good introduction. Uh, in hindsight, I wasn't really tracking performance, so it was hard to tell really how I was doing. Um, but then I then I kind of stumbled upon uh, What Works on Wall Street by Jim O'Shaughnessy, a uh, little book that beats the market. Yeah, you probably got it there. <laughs> a little book that beats the market by Greenblatt. And they just immediately spoke to me, just factors, quantitative applications to investing. And it was just like a, a light bulb kind of went off. And then at the same time, I discovered a platform, which we'll get into, called um, Portfolio123. 
and it's an online platform. It's got 25 years of historical data, Canadian, U.S., and European stocks, um, which you can you can devise any strategy you can possibly think of. And um, that's I've been doing that for the last seven or eight years. Um, had a stint in, in that, had some really early su success, uh, did quite well. And then I had some really early failures. So it's, uh, I made every rookie mistake in the book. Like, oh man, this is, this isn't for me. I thought it was so good, but no, I went and dabbled in some real estate and I thought, no, nah, maybe this quant thing is, is, is actually for me. I just got to figure it out more. So I, so I came back. Kind of that. Okay. Now I got to really drill down, figure this stuff out, go back to basics, uh, learn from my rookie mistakes. And I'd say it's a good solid, maybe five years of kind of trial and error, mistakes, learning, where I kind of got past that rookie phase. Um, and then, and then in that process, found that microcaps founded, um, did particularly well in quantitative strategies, which we'll get to. And then even drilling down further in the liquidity spectrum down to nano caps and even pico caps. There's a lot of alpha if you're willing to to say, go down that far. Did you say pico caps? Pico caps. What so am, like I, um I heard yeah, so caps. like um it depends who you ask, but I consider a micro cap anything less than about three hundred million. Yep. A nano cap is less than fifty million. Yep. And then a pico cap is less than 10 mil. So I, I didn't even know it had a label. Okay. All right. I just, <laughs> I just, I was like, right. I, I just figured everything under 50 was a nano cap, but I like, I like yeah, pico no. cap. That's good, man. That's funny. I'm going to use that for now. <laughs> There's a small community of, um, of pico cap investors on Twitter and uh, the really illiquid stuff. Um, so why microcaps? Um, in my mind, of all the asset classes, these really do have the best reward to risk ratio. Um, I mean, if you're willing to dig and and really find the find the good ones out there, um, uh, you're you're stacking odds in your favor. From a quant point of view, these are generally simple businesses. Different, um, they don't have a lot of different operating divisions or complexities to how they operate so that it can screen quite well. Um, also there's less intangibles. So when you're dealing with like a lot of the story stocks, a lot of the big, big large caps, there's a lot of noise and those are really hard to trade on fundamentals because there's so much else going on. But with kind of the smaller stocks, it's, it's really more about the fundamentals in my experience. Um, but at the same time, they're also relatively inefficient. So, I mean, they, the institutions don't usually play down here yet. Um, uh, so, so there's alpha to, to be had there. Uh, there's the illiquidity premium getting in before the institutions of the big money. And I mean, to me, and again, I've got a footnote there. Fun is very subjective to me. <laughs> Minecraft's are fun. I mean, they're, they're, to, to see a market cap really pop 50%, 100% in a short period of time, there's nothing like it. Um, it goes the, the, the other way too. Don't get me wrong. As, as you know, Bobby, it can, they, they can really crash and burn. But, but I think once you've got a good system, uh, you can really screen out a lot of that, those, those poor, poor performers. Um, and that's statistically speaking too, if you're getting into multi-baggers and really true, Performers, a lot of these guys start off as microcaps. It's a lot of runway. A lot of runway. Reaching the choir right here, man. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> Everyone's cheering you on in the, you know, that's listening. <laughs> yeah. All right. So what is okay, quantitative so quant investing? What's what right? is quantitative investing? I get this question a lot. And to me, I guess I don't I no longer think about it, but 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 it um, I had to put some words around as to what it really means, at least to to me. I mean, and you hear about quantitative easing in the headlines, so some people may may get that confused with what um, with quantitative investing. But just simply speaking, I mean, just verbatim here to me, quantitative investing is the use of quantitative numerical data to inform your investment decisions. Uh, quantitative data can be financial statements. It's uh, price data, 
it's analyst ratings, it's macro, anything that can be quantified and stored in a database is, is fair game. As long as it's high quality data, then, um, then you're good to go. Um, the different investors may have some overlays of qualitative or discretionary factors. For me personally, I don't use any of that. I'm purely on the number side. Uh, when you look at, say, what works in Wall Street and, and some of these other strategies, they're, they're purely quantitative. Um, that's not to say that investors can't, can't go speak to management and things like this. Um, one of the aspects of quantitative investing is that you're usually dealing with the strategy level. So for one strategy, I usually carry about 25 stocks and I run about four or five strategies. So that's about 100 stocks. So, I mean, I, even if I wanted to, I can't keep up with, with that many um, management teams and, and things of that nature. So, so for that reason, it really sticks to the numbers. And to me, they're more objective too. Um, also in quant investing, it's really about finding those factors that have historically produced stock returns. So, I mean, there's, there's a lot of conventional wisdom, there's a lot of anecdotes, a lot of water cooler factors, if you will. And my cousin Jimmy did this and he, and he made that. I mean, with, with quantitative investing, you've got the, your, your edge is data. So you can go back in time and really test all of those factors, see if they've worked, how well they've worked, when they've worked, maybe figure out how they work. And, and to me, that's, that's, uh, that's kind of fun to me, I, 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 you could say, but it's also um, really powerful because you can really focus on those things that matter. Um, hey, hey, Ryan, you know, because yeah. we've done, I've done a few interviews on here talking about, you know, using more a quantitative approach to microcap investing, you know, and then there's like the kind of full on qualitative. And then there's the other term quantum mental, you know, for you, how do you, how do you think about quantum mental investing versus kind of a full 100% quantitative approach for microcaps? I certainly have nothing against quantum mental. Um, like I said, I, I've kind of focused more on the quantitative side. Um, and I guess we can jump, jump, jump a few slides. But in, in my main strategy, I run about 50, 50 different quantitative factors. So I'm looking at the business and the stock in many different from different many from many different angles. Uh, many of those factors are kind of proxies for how well management is doing, and maybe can provide some clues as to how how their work is is going to work out in the future. I mean, it's not always a sure bet, but but I think generally um, the performance that from having so many factors is is kind of kind of is proof that, that the quantitative is has a has a strong signal there. Um, again, if I maybe focused on five or ten stocks that I had high conviction on and then went to the, the management teams, I could certainly do that. But practically I just don't have have that time or any just with so so many stocks. For sure. And and we'll probably get there, but it almost sounds like what you've done is try to create a quantitative approach around what folks would normally do just qualitatively right it seems like that we'll get there i'm keep jumping ahead i'm sure. sorry i'm getting excited. <laughs> all right no worries no worries all right um i mean some people refer to uh, quantitative investing as mechanical investing is more of an older term but you still see it automated investing um some may argue that quantitative investing is trading because you're you're kind of just trading tickers um Strictly speaking, yeah, that's what it is. But, but at the same time, I mean, you're holding on to some of these names as long as a year, two years. I uh, hold some names as short as a month. Uh, they can kind of rank highly and then come out of the rank. So that happens. Um, and finally, evidence-based. I mean, quantitative investing is, is, is a tool that you can really find evidence of a bigger factor or strategy whether it works or not. Um, as I said, a lot of anecdotes out there. And even some strategies work over time. Some strategies work under certain market conditions. Uh, some strategies work only during COVID. <laughs> and that's it. So so just having 
having that data behind you, you can really test and really get into the, the factors. I mean, also, like, I think it's better to differentiate because, yeah, in, in a sense, you're right. Like, if you're just kind of a full quantitative approach, you know, it is more just trading tickers, right? You're not talking about managing team, you're not really doing that. But there's a big difference between quantitative approach and having a database strategy for buying and selling these companies versus trading, which is more, you know, you're kind of analyzing a chart, really focus on that versus right. right like so that i think that's that's probably a bigger difference that then it's it is more than just like moving tickers it's you know there it's a good distinction too bobby yeah, yeah the the yeah it, i mean i i don't look at candlesticks and and all of that sort sort of stuff but i guess just on the i mean you see this all the time on twitter there's debates on investing is better than trading and and uh if you hold a stock for less to than each, a year you're you're I mean, just a trader yeah and to each i mean it's right? it's like, i mean it's semantics you're making money to me, making, really. and also if you're making money like who cares <laughs> exactly exactly um i tried doing the but, yeah. thing man like i i'm like when <laughs> for me i've I don't tried know, i'm geospatial i'm geospatially like i can't I just did that. I, you see a pattern, I see a tree. I don't know. Like, I, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> yeah. And, and the, the thing with that stuff is that everyone sees a different pattern too, which is, which is the thing that um, really get, gets me. But anyway, that's uh, some, some, some people can do it. Um, yeah. So, pros and cons. I mean, every investing approach has got pros and cons. I mean, there's no silver bullet in this business. I think uh, we can all agree on that. Um, but definitely a pro to quant investing is that you can backtest. You can you can you can set 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 out a strategy and see really how is this actually per performed. I mean, it's one thing to think a strategy should should perform, but oftentimes what makes sense doesn't really work in the markets. Um, um, so having that backtest is is a good tool. Uh, another book I really would recommend to anyone, and probably a lot of your listeners have read it, uh, Thinking Fast and Slow, um, uh, talks all about the cognitive biases that we all carry. We're all pre-wired for living in the jungle and the savanna. We've got very um, hardwired instincts, which really aren't, uh, which really don't do us well in markets. Um, it really being able to step back and kind of use some analysis is definitely an edge in markets to kind of avoid some some of these biases. Uh, so you can establish your buy and sell rules. Like what that comes down to practically, you establish your buy and sell rules well in advance. So um, so whenever your strategy is rebalanced weekly, monthly, annually, strategy says buy this, sell this, you, you just do it because you've done all that work to fig figure out what, what your rules should be. So there's no kind of second guessing, oh, should I sell this? Is it gonna go down? Is it gonna go up? You, you just kind of sell and move on. Um, and, and then of course, with data, with call it big data and computing power now, uh, you can look at as many factors as you want, like more than you could possibly cover in, ex in Excel or in your mind. Um, you can really look at so many different aspects and uh, and come up with a good algorithm, which you couldn't do manually. Uh, the cons. So as the name implies, is quantitative. So whatever you can't measure, um, you can't use, really. So so if you're looking at those story stocks, if you're looking at stocks with, with a narrative um, that has a lot of intangibles, you can't. You can't really work with those in quantitative strategies. I mean, you may find some proxies, some factors that that kind of simulate some of those intangibles, but but generally the the more noise a stock trades on, the less effective uh, quant investing is going to be. Um, and then maybe some of your listeners have heard the expression: "There are no bad back tests," meaning you can. I mean, yeah. I mean, you go through books and articles and things always look look great if if you invested in this in these stocks 10 years ago you'd be a millionaire by now it is pretty easy to make a, a good looking back test so so really one of the challenges is to is to get past that and really test 
your tests, your strategies, uh, there's even an expression in the community that you try and break your strategy, uh, try and adjust things so that your strategy breaks. Um, I mean, there might be some, you might have some bad data or there might be a factor that's being miscalculated. Uh, but if you can find a strategy that you can't break, I mean, that, that's something to hold, hold on to. And finally, data mining is always a risk. I mean, it's very easy. I guess related to the first point, you can really um, um, find relationships that look like relationships um, in a backtest that, that really that really aren't or that really don't persist over time. Maybe to demonstrate that, I just found this graphic just this morning on Twitter. Um, I was having a conversation, and this this kind of came up. And it kind of is a good representation of kind of what we're talking about. I mean, you start off with data. So in quant investing, you've got this massive database, thousands of stocks, thousands of fi financial statements and, and, and values. It's just data. Um, it doesn't really tell you anything as is. Uh, you start to weed down that, that data into information um, in the stuff that's really important to you, maybe earnings, margins, uh, balance sheet information uh, starts to become, starts to paint a picture on the stock. Uh, then you get to knowledge where you start to see some connections between some of those information points. Um, not quite sure how they're connected, but there seems to be some sort of a connection or a correlation. Uh, you drill that down even further into insight and you get basically, I don't know if you can see my, my corner here, but you can see say uh, factor A somehow is causing result B. Again, you're not sure of the pathway, not sure exactly how, but you know what's happening with high correlation. And then finally, with, with wisdom, you, you actually know how factor A is producing result B. You know exactly what that path is and what the true driver is. So, so in a nutshell, successful quantitative investing is getting from the data to the wisdom, even to the insight is, is, is a good step. Um, but this just kind of takes, takes the kind of the, all the time to go through and, and um, um, find these relationships. And this is a slide I always like to, to explain. This is things I don't do and many quants don't do. So I don't read individual 10 Qs or 10 Ks. Um, or say I don't read annual reports. All the data is already in the database, so I can screen for that data is required. Um, I don't interview management. Like I said, uh, DCF for price targets uh, is not not something that usually answers my my strategies. Uh, I usually prefer to rank stocks, relatively speaking, on um, on say price to earnings or other value factors. Not so much as a hard kind of price target. Uh, holding forever isn't is it's a buffetism, but but not something that usually um, works out in quant strategies. At least for me, my rebalancing period is usually weekly, uh, with an annual turnover about three hundred percent. So what that means is some stocks will hold for three months, some will hold for two years on on average, but but really not not much past that. Um, uh, it's just part of the process. And like I said, it's not so much on the individual stocks. It's, it's really on, on the strategy. Hmm. No further comment. Continue. Okay. All right. <laughs> you good? I just want, I just want to hear your strat. I'm, I'm ready for, I'm ready for the, like the, your, how you now apply all of this to, to your, all right. Okay. I'm done. Go. Get in there. We're okay. a, a few slides away. So, so, <laughs> So, so really for quantitative strategy, you really, again, to kind of get to that kind of um, knowledge wisdom state, you need to consider how's, how does the strategy make sense? Like what, what's really driving the returns? Like should, should the factors that you're using, should they produce kind of some sort of alpha? Like is there an economic or a financial reason why this is happening or is it behavioral? Like are you, are you able to exploit some of those biases um, that we were talking about a few minutes ago. 
And then and it really comes down to, to getting into your factors, value, growth, quality, momentum, technicals. Um, I mean, the sky's the limit really with all of these. Um, uh, you, can, you can mix and match uh, different value factors with growth and, and come up with, with, this, with, with a mix that works for you. Uh, when we have a strategy, we, we have different major components. We've got our universe. So that's basically all the stocks that you're looking at. That's your major market. If, if it's U.S., if it's Canadian, um, if it's a particular market cap, um, you want to try and set some sort of minimum liquidity. I mean, if you're, if you're trying to avoid those pico caps or nano caps, then you can set like a minimum liquidity th uh, threshold. Some industries don't screen particularly well. Uh, financials, REITs, utilities, I typically exclude. And it's kind of a kind of a tradition in, in a lot of quant strategies. Uh, they can provide some misleading results, uh, particularly on the balance sheet. Um, so I find it better just to exclude them. For those that don't know, you know, why is that? Hey. Um, financials, for for example, uh, control a lot of debt on the balance sheet, which on an industrial, that amount of debt would would uh, show some serious flags. So it's kind of um, showing a very different signal for for the same factor. So for that reason, like I personally like to just exclude them because it can really throw off some of your results. I mean, do you basically, um, I mean, does it rule out, I mean, does your strategy basically rule out like biotech for the most part, like anything pre-rev pretty much? Oh, um, biotech. Yeah. If it's pre-revenue. Yeah, definitely. Um, because a lot of my growth yeah, requires some kind of sales growth, earnings growth, positive earnings, positive profitability. Yeah. Cause I mean, pre-rev works well for a trading strategy, right? Because it's more catalytic based. You know, like that's really what's driving the stock and driving the movements yep. in the market, you know? So like, that's actually a good example of like, all right, well, if you want to have more of a quant strategy, like, you know, you definitely just probably want to exclude pre-rev completely. And then if you want to have more of a trading strategy, like that's where you can dabble it with, with, uh, uh you know, some biotechs, probably some junior mining, that kind of stuff or, or pre-rev tech. I mean, there's, there's more pre-rev stuff beyond just biotech and mining for sure. hundred percent. Yep. Yeah, no, especially in the say like the TSX venture, you got a lot of a lot of stuff in there. You got to be careful with. Um, actually, which we'll we'll get to. So, I guess there's two main mechanisms for actually selecting your stocks. You can use a screen, which I think a lot of people are familiar with. You got specific rules. So, say you want a stock with a PE less than ten, you want earnings growth of greater than ten percent. And you want uh, uh, a gross margin of greater than forty percent, then you just put those rules in. You run the screen, and it'll give you the all all the stocks that that uh, meet those criteria. But it's, uh, they're very absolute rules. So I mean, each stock has to pass every rule. There is no give and take. Whereas with the ranking, you can rank all stocks in the universe on all those factors, um, and then get kind of an overall rank for each, each stock. And then, uh, if it, if it scores really well on value, say, but, but, uh, or sorry, if it scores really well on growth, but it's a little bit more e expensive. The, the excess growth could overweigh the value and still pass. So that's, uh, that, that's usually how I run most of my strategies. Again, the factor selection, your traditional value, growth, quality, momentum. Um, and then once you get into your strategy, you can even set very specific buy and sell rules. So if you've got, um, you only want stocks to pass a certain rank, you only want stocks with a certain volume, a recent volume, has all kinds of rules that you can add. Um, and then, of course, once you've got your strategy, you need to execute it. So portfolio one, two, three. This is uh, this is the strategy, or this is the platform that I use. Uh, it's pretty fantastic, quite frankly. It's got a lot of power, a lot of factors, twenty-four years of historical data. Uh, it's got a great community there too. Uh, a lot of guys there have been doing this for a while. And they're really 
really, really willing to share some tricks of the trade. Um, and yeah, really fantastic place. Uh, I can, I'll show a link to the, to the platform at the end too. Um, the factor ranking. So this is a, this is kind of a key output of quant investing. Um, uh, Jim did a lot of these in what works on wall street, these decile charts. So what this is showing is basically showing a rank. This is for value. This is a, a value ranking system. So what it's showing that the, the, the top 10% top decile here of cheap stocks, uh, produced an average annual return of 16%. Uh, since 1999, and then the most expensive stocks, um, or the lowest rank, uh, lagged. So, so they produced a minus three, uh, minus two percent annual return over that period. So, in a rank chart, what if if you see kind of a nice smooth, smooth slope between kind of the top performing and the bottom perf performing? That's kind of a sign that that there is some predictive power in the in the factor. I mean, if it was all over the place, uh, you might have found kind of a random connection or a random correlation uh, where th this is kind of what you, what you want to see. Um, and I mean, this can even change over time. So I mean, over long periods, you can usually get a nice slope, but over five and 10 year periods, this, this can get a bit more noisy, especially for value. You can actually see the inverse. Uh, no surprise where value is underperformed. Um, and, and you can see over some, some periods, it's totally reversed. So that, that's part of the, that's one of the aspects of factor investing is the, is their, um, their cycles. Okay. And then how do we come up with ideas for quant investing? Again, we're trying to exploit a market inefficiency. So market caps are great that way. I mean, there's a lot of inefficiency in that space. Uh, you want to think is my, is, is my strategy, is it, is it evergreen? Is this going to run all the time? Or is it only during certain market conditions? Um, that's something you have to identify up front. Like, like I said, we want to exploit an inefficiency in market caps. Um, I think myself and the audience, that's their preferred arena. And you can get ideas from all, all over academia, um, practitioners. There's a lot of great books out there. They've got great ideas on quant strategies. Um, as I said, the portfolio one to three community and even Twitter too. A lot of great quants on Twitter who like to share, share their ideas and experiences. And then once you've got your strategy, you, you want to test it. So this is. Basically, you're in sample versus out of sample. So, so in sample is basically you've tested from 1999 to say uh, 2020. So that's your in sample period. Once you put that strategy live, that's your out out of sample period. So ideally, if the strategy is robust, then your out of sample should be similar to the in sample. Um, if you find out of sample just kind of looks nothing like the sample whatsoever, then maybe the strategy isn't very robust or there's some loose connections there. Um, and again, this is the importance of robustness testing. If you want to get into, um, have a little survivorship bias as possible in, in your, in your database. So one of the criticisms of early academic studies is a lot of these studies had, um, uh, their databases only contain those stocks that survived. So those stocks went bankrupt, they're delisted, they don't appear. So so you're you're losing, say, like a third of of the stocks in the in the in sample, which can really skew your results. So really for for any serious quant strategy, you really need point in time data. Uh, you need to have enough data points too. Um, it's one thing to test the strategy over two years. Um, like for example, over COVID, all the work from home stocks worked really well, looked fantastic. But I mean, if you tested those same stocks and the same factors over a longer period, it, it looked quite different. Um, fr frictional costs are, are something to be cognizant of. Your slippage, your commissions should all be accounted for. 
um, uh, to net out to net those out of your performance, um, and also consistency. I mean, it's it's really in quant strategies. It's pretty common. It's pretty ideal to have more than fifty percent of 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 the stocks be winners. Uh, you are definitely going to get losers, but really, you want more winners than losers. And as I say, yeah, just testing over di different trades is key. Okay, guts. So th this is kind of the 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 meat and potatoes of of my strategy. Um, I guess only fairly recently I put a name to it, but but as I was thinking about, it, I was trying to boil it down and to be able to, to describe it and it just happened to be guts. And it means two things really. Um, in terms of factors with microcaps, uh, the, the G we're really looking for growth, we're looking for high growth, high future growth and uh, earnings and margins and income. Uh, growth is really key. That said, it should be fairly stable growth as well. I mean, to see very, very like super cyclical growth is i mean you can definitely work with that but sustainable growth is is uh is preferred the u is the value part so really want to get something that's relatively cheap um compared to his peers or 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 compared to the industry uh, that'll definitely help uh timing is always a controversial one i mean um the old adage you can't time the market is everywhere but i mean timing i mean it's it's momentum it's i mean momentum is timing uh to a point even value investing is timing because you're waiting for the price to reach a certain point and then you make your move so i mean it's it's i think to not look at markets with the timing lens i think you're you're leaving some money on the table uh, so, so we'll, so we'll get into a factor that I like to use for that and sentiment. Sentiment's a big one. This could be anything from short interest. So how much short interest is, is on the stock? What are analysts saying about the stocks? Um, um, are the opinions of analysts changing? Is the short interest changing? That all kind of plays into it. So for the specific factors, uh, that's the guts. And then on the behavioral side. So, I mean, it's one thing to have a great strategy. You've developed it. It's on paper. It looks fantastic. But uh, like anything, you have to put it into motion. You have to put it put it into play. Uh, so again, the the G for me is gumption. You just got to do it. Um, you're not going to have 100% confidence that it's going to work. Uh, but there's a point where you just have to kind of put the pencil down and just uh, uh, put it into play. Use uncertainty again. There's always going to be uncertainty. You just have to get to a point where you have have enough confidence uh, in the strategy or in your picks. You just kind of kind of just just pull the, pull the trigger. I mean, you're investing is a game of probabilities, really. So once once you accept that, that becomes a lot easier. T for trust. This is um, this is mostly trusting your your strategy. Um, there are going to be times where the strategy is going to work really well. It's going to be on fire. It's going to destroy everything else in the market. And there's going to be times where it's just not doing anything. It's just lagging. It's unforming. You think, what's going on here? But I mean, if you've tested that strategy, if you know those factors work, um, you have to be able to trust that strategy and trust that it'll come back. And oftentimes it does. Uh, provided you've got robust factors, then you'll be good. You just need to have that, have, have that trust. Because chances are, once you, once you cancel that strategy, you sell out that next week, you know what's going to happen. <laughs> and that, again, that was one of my rookie mistakes. And finally, S for stamina. Um, volatility in microcaps is, yeah, something else sometimes. So just being able to handle that. That volatility, handle the, the those emotional swings, um, fight against your kind of innate desires to, to sell, to panic, to just get out at the wrong time. Yeah, it's stamina, and I, I think I think it's something you develop over time as a muscle. 
you just kind of accept that volatility is prior to the game and you just you just kind of go on. But at first it can be can be pretty daunting for sure. Okay, baby guts. So I thought maybe a good way to kind of put all of this into, into an example is just to create a strategy from scratch. So so really what our theme here is we're gonna find microcaps that are undervalued, but they're growing. So we're gonna look at US only. We're gonna look at um, relatively liquid, so 100,000 per, per day of volume, minimum price of a of dollar. We're gonna remove our financials, REITs and utilities, like we said. And um, this is a relatively simple strategy, but we're gonna look at four factors, um, uh, each of the G, U, T and S. So growth, EPS, just uh, compare, compare growth from this quarter to the previous quarter, uh, previous year quarter rather higher the better undervalued we're going to look at low pe stocks or rather high earnings yield the timing will be momentum relative strength so, so we want to see that the stock is is starting to pick up some pace and it's in its price action and then for sentiment we want to look for stocks with low short interest um I'm trying to avoid those those small caps that are really um short targets So this is a screenshot of a ranking system in portfolio one, two, three. So really what we've done here is we've, we've got our four major factors, our guts, growth, undervalued, timing, sentiment. So what you can do here is, is, is simply show, show or enter the factor you're after. So this is EPS earnings per share, excluding extraordinary items. Um, uh, from this quarter to the previous year quarter. And then all stocks in the universe will get ranked with that uh, growth. So, so the stock with the highest growth gets a rank of say 100 and then 99. For earnings yield, we'll do the same thing. So earnings yield is, especially, is essentially the inverse of, of say price to earnings. It's, uh, it's, it's uh, from a quantitative point of view, it works out better um, in my experience. We're also using enterprise value rather than just uh, market cap or price. Higher the better. Relative strength. Um, yeah, so this is basically this is basically a collection of four sub factors. It just shows momentum over four periods. So three month momentum, six month momentum, nine and twelve month momentum, and then that kind of gets rolled up into confidence score. Stocks with the highest mo momentum get uh, get get the higher rank. Short interest, short interest ratio. We're looking at those stocks with the short interest that's uh, very low. Again, the lowest get a rank of 100, 99, et cetera. And of course, we want to exploit the market cap for the size factor. So the lower the market cap, the better. Even though we've, we are focused on market caps, even within that, we want to get the smaller guys. So we run our ranking. If you remember a few slides ago, we wanted to see kind of a nice, nice uh, decline from the highest ranked stocks down to the lowest. And actually, we're pretty close here. I mean, the highest, or the highest ranking decile actually uh, lags the second by a little bit. So there might be some optimization there, but but generally, that's that looks pretty good um, over a long time period. So here. I think we can say that there is some predictive power in the in the strategy in the ranking system that we had, and this is our universe. So we've basically started off with all U.S. stocks, all this is stocks. Uh, we want to remove the REITs, remove the utility. These are basically industry codes. So um, uh, each industry has a specific code, and you can exclude it. So we removed REITs, utilities, and financials. Uh, we've produced, or we've created a rule that's got minimum liquidity. So over a 20-day period, we want an average of $100,000 per day. Uh, at the same time, we've also created a maximum. So those stocks that are really liquid, we actually want to put a cap on. Um, yeah, we don't want any OTCs. 
but we do allow ADRs, minimum price of a dollar. We've got a minimum float in there, and we've taken out any um, master limited partnerships. So that'll give us our universe. Okay, so here we go. So this is a simulation. This is a 20 year, or rather simulation back to 1999. Um, so basically if we test that all the way back, we get a CAGR of about 20.5%. Uh, there's some slippage, there's some slippage rules in there um, to, to account for the microcaps. Of course, there's commissions, uh, we've got this set for a monthly rebalance. So every every month, basically, the portfolio turns over or, or the stocks get re-ranked. So those stocks that fall out of the out of the top top positions get sold, and then the new ones get purchased. So that's about a 235% annual turnover. Um, this is pretty good for a four-factor system, I've got to say. Uh, where it does come up a little bit short, overall winners are a bit low. I mean, as we said, we prefer to see a minimum of 50% of the stocks being winners. Um, the higher, the better. 60 is even better, but that's, that's, that's tougher, tougher to get sometimes. Um, and then we've got our sharp ratio as well, even the correlation with R2000. Russell 2000. <clears throat> and then we can even take that a step further. And so for all strategies, you can then dig down and see, see how it's performed over, over time on a, on a yearly basis. And like, for example, we've got our model performance by year, this top row. Uh, then the benchmark, the R2000, Russell 2000. So as you can see, in the early 2000s, the strategy did quite well, outperformed all years up until 2007. It got hit in 2008, no surprise there. Had a pretty good run in the early 2000s, other than 2011. Um, but here, this is where it's interesting. It really started to lag, though, uh, in, the late, in the late 2010s, 2016 through 2019. Had a four-year tough period. So I mean that that four years in my mind, that's a long time. That's a that that's a long stretch of underperformance. So I mean, there could be some optimization there. You could go back to the factors, add some additional factors, um, and see if you can improve that. And um, yeah, and then the last few years, at least on paper, the strategy's done quite well. Uh, outperformed uh, even this this year, it's in the green. Outperforming the Russell 2000 by about 13 points. Yeah, so that's that's uh, that that's kind of how we would develop a strategy. I mean, it's pretty pretty simple, but but actually, just with a few factors, it's uh, it's able to come up uh, pretty decently. Absolutely. And and again, thank you for all this. Again, I invite everybody to who's listening to this in the audio version to also check out these slides on the YouTube version. So a couple follow-ups, you know, and it comes down to discipline, right? Because again, if you're, as long as you're fully following your quantitative factors, you know, it's really also comes down to buy and sell discipline. And so, you know, what what are some of the things when you set okay you set up your strategy you set up your time frame for you know what what it is you think will work you know what then are some of the signals that you look for to say okay maybe it's time to sell this earlier than maybe my even my model is telling me I should or buy it like uh yeah that that's a tough one um actually haven't I can probably count on one, maybe two hands, the number of times I've overridden kind of the model. Uh, I think maybe a recent example, um, and actually I didn't actually sell, but it came pretty close to, I had a couple China stocks in, uh, in one of my strategies and, and it did quite well earlier in the year. It had a good run up and the, the rank, so the quantitative rank pretty much stayed the same. But then about at the, I want to say July, August, it just started going into free fall. 
and um, and and the rank was unchanged, so still ranked very highly. But I think what it came down to was was really all the kind of uncertainty around China, and and kind of the things happening over there, and and the kind of the uncertainty against uh, kind of Chinese markets. And I saw some other Chinese names that I had had a similar similar drop with very little change in rank. Uh, this one particular name, um, I can tell you the ticker. Full disclosure, I do own a GCT, uh, Giga Cloud. Uh, did quite well. I still own it, but I uh, came very close to pulling the, the trigger and 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 selling. But um, but I think it it's on my list to kind of look at China stocks a bit differently because there's definitely that uh, <laughs> that China factor you can't really quantify. That uh, adds a bit of a challenge. So. So, I mean, you run a couple of different strategies, but I mean, maybe using one in particular as an example, you know, how often do you, you know, refresh it? How often is the turnover? You know, I think people want to know that because they see this and they think, okay, it's every four with this one, it's every four weeks. But, you know, just curious as to, you know, which for you, like which one of your strategies, how often the turnover is, you know, the buy and sell signals, all that kind of stuff. Sure. Yeah, so it's pretty common. Probably my main strategy, uh, it's it's got 300% annual turnover. What that means is that during earnings season, I may have to change out maybe three or four stocks uh, every couple of weeks. So new earnings come out, fi- the financials get redone, stocks get re-ranked. Uh, but then after that, I can go weeks where there's nothing. It's just there's no action. Like it's, it still rebalances, but, uh, but there's no buy or sell changes. Uh, then the next earnings season comes, the next quarter, and there might be some some uh, changeouts. So, I mean, it's not a, it's it sounds like a lot, like 300%, but really on average, like on a weekly basis, it's, uh, I don't think it's that much. Um, I mean, it takes maybe 30 minutes a week, really, to, to do that actual trading. Got it. Yeah. I mean, look, we, and what's funny is, you know, I saw you at, you know, like I said at the top, I saw you at Paul's event and, you know, the whole point of some of these investor conferences, I host a couple of them myself is, you know, you're always going to network, of course, meet other investors and jam, like that's how we got to meet, but it's also to go and see management present, maybe meet with them one-on-one, you know, so when you're taking your strategy, you're going to an event like that, other than the obvious of like networking with dingleberries like me, right, right. like, you know, what do you look for? You know, do you, do you want to go and see some of these companies just to maybe not necessarily a one-on-one because it doesn't fit your strategy, but just to kind of see their, how they present and, you know, see if there is something that you might've missed from the narrative on the narrative side. No, actually, it's a great question. So, and answer is yes. So when you go and you see, see a lot of these guys present, and a lot of these guys in the nano caps and micro caps, there's certain things that that these companies do. Say, say if they're in acquisition mode, uh, they're looking to expand, uh, acquire businesses. Um, I mean, that's important for a, for a micro cap. But there's a right way to acquire, and there's a wrong way to acquire. So, so just trying to listen to what these guys are saying, and then trying to find a way to make a quantitative rule to kind of capture that. I mean, there are different different stats that you can extract from financial statements on their acquisitions, and then maybe see how how their share count has. I mean, their share count will increase as as they acquire. Are they diluting to to um, to make that acquisition? Uh, is the acquisition making value for the company? So it's 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 something. Yeah, trying to. Trying to take all those things and boil it down to some quantitative factors is kind of what what I'm after, uh, because kind of a lot of the we'll call it out of the box factors uh, won't tell you that. You kind of have to start going in and making y- y- your own factors, and that that's one of the beauties of portfolio one two three is it's very custom. You can pretty much write any any or create any factor you like as long as it's got the core data there. Um. Uh. So yeah, that that's that's kind of one of the the main reasons. So just so just anecdotally, and you kind of gave a good example with you know 
you know, the your your model told you to look at China stocks. And that actually goes narratively pretty in line. You know, actually, I think we I did a, a few interviews with um, some folks talking about what's going on in China and Asia and kind of the it's just been hated. There might be a little bit of a turnaround. And so like it kind of narratively made sense from like end of 2022, that early 2023 kind of talking about it. People are talking about it more. Have there been any other things you've noticed, maybe trends in 2023 that you've seen thus far that were somewhat surprising to you based on what your model told you? Like, I should, I should, you know, have positions in this right now or in this sector, or certain companies. I don't know. I'm curious. Um, yeah, I guess you could say I'm allowed to, to swear here. Heck yeah, you can. No, no the, the, well, I guess on Twitter, the shit goes. <laughs> uh, those have done quite well this year. Yeah, I mean, just companies with 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 no earnings or uh, very poor earnings, but somehow have have these really strong followings. Um, whereas uh, for this year, my strategies are so fundamental based that I mean, some of them are struggling to kind of keep up with these really poor performing stocks. I think the last few months we're starting to see like a turnaround, like a return back to fundamentals. But uh, particularly the first part of the year was was quite a surprise, just to see see how some of these uh, uh, really junky stocks were doing. Um, I actually did a thread. I don't know if you know the the QMJ system, quality minus junk. It's a it's an AQR strategy, Cliff Asnes. Mm-hmm. Uh, where it basically ranks stocks and quality all the way down to junk. And over time, quality trumps junk. But if you run that same strategy pretty much for the first six months of of uh, of 2023, it's the inverse. I mean, junk is just absolutely crushing quality. And it happens. I mean, factors are very cyclical. That that's kind of the one thing that you that you start to see when you run these things and you um, analyze them over time. I like value. I mean, that value over time, yes, it outperforms, but I can go through really long periods of just getting crushed. And um, that's all part of it is just trying to find a good balance between those factors that maybe aren't as correlated. So as one is underperforming, another is outperforming, and maybe they, you kind of get a net positive um, result. That's that's kind of one of the, the objectives in uh, good strategy design, I'd, I'd say. Very cool. All right, you know, well, Ryan, I think we we went through so much today and I really do appreciate it because it, it's been a while since we've kind of done like, you know, a real deep dive into quantitative strategy and kind of a one-on-one type, also kind of digging in a little bit on and, and, and an example using some factors. So I do really appreciate that. I mean, so, you know, close us out with some final thoughts on, you know, anything having to do with quantitative, your own personal quantitative strategies, quants in general, micro caps, you know, final thoughts maybe for the rest of 2023 going into 2024. Sure. Um, yeah, I guess, uh, yeah, 2023, yeah, it's, it's been, again, a challenge for some st- st- strategies, but a boon for others. So, I mean, I'm confident or I'm rather optimistic that fundamentals will will uh, trump. Um one thing I've started delving into a little bit deeper, and that was again good timing with the with the Vancouver conference with Paul and Trevor, is, is some of the smaller names is getting into the TSX venture stocks. Um, actually, I can just I can show you a strategy here. Again, this is a simulation, but um, but this is a a back test back to. Sorry, I can't see with the. I think it's a ten year period. And um, and just really illiquid stocks, but really strong fundamentals. I call this the chilliquid strategy. I've actually got a version of this live right now. And uh, but yeah, starting to see some promise uh, out, out of sample in the strategy. I mean, it's on paper it's produced a category. I, I know it's of seventy percent. Um, now these are pretty illiquid. Some of them can be really difficult to trade if not impossible, especially as you get to a larger capital base. But generally, though, I mean, it's showing some of the good signs. It's got um, uh, very positive winners. The drawdown is acceptable. And uh, I think there's some potential there. 
And like I said, in these kind of these smaller stocks, uh, some of the, even the Pico caps, if you will, are, are, are showing some, some promise. So kind of, kind of optimistic about, about, uh, that area of the market. Very cool. All right. Well, Ryan, with that, where can our audience go and follow you, get in contact with you? Um, Oh, there we go. Here, if you're watching on YouTube, a nice little slide right here. But Ryan, uh, tell the people uh, via audio. Sure. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, I'm on Twitter or X. I'm simply at rtelford underscore invest. Uh, I'm also on Seeking Alpha. I, I like to do long form research and, and um, articles on there. So check me out. Just um, enter Ryan Telford. You, you should be able to find me. And uh, Portfolio123. This is my my quant platform of choice. I'm there just simply R Telford. And uh, if you are seeing the video, there's a link here. You can definitely try it out for two weeks. Uh, see if you like it. Uh, I like to post different strategies too. Uh, I like to post post public strategies um, um, on Twitter and on Seeking Alpha. If you you to try, but but really, I mean, if you've got any any interest in quant item or quant quant things, quant strategies, definitely, uh, I su suggest you make your way over there and just give it a shot. I'd be happy to answer any, any questions too. Very cool. Well, Ryan, thank you so much for joining me, man. Really do appreciate it. Good luck. Stay safe. And I look forward to our next update. Sounds good. Thanks so much, Bobby. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not an offer or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell securities. SNN Network, SNN Inc., and the Planet Microcap Podcast and the representatives are not licensed brokers, broker dealers, market makers, investment bankers, investment advisors, analysts, or underwriters. We do not recommend any companies discussed. We may buy and sell securities in any company mentioned and may profit in the event those securities rise in value. We recommend you consult with a professional investment advisor, broker, or legal counsel before purchasing or selling any securities referenced in this podcast podcast.